All right, so back to cutting room floor, uh, leaning into First Samuel. And there's a number of times when, in the scriptures broadly, but in First Samuel in particular, there's a moment where it says, God regretted something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unclear, like, as you're reading through this, like, what to make of that. Yeah. Uh, so as you've sort of leaned into that, like, I, how do we read that? Sure. Like, is yeah. God, like... You know, looking at the, you know, reality and then he changes direction. Sure. Yeah. You know, or does God know what's going to happen? For right? sure. Because that, yeah. that's sort of where we're going <laughs> with question this. Is, like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Because I think maybe there's two levels going on here. I think one, we get specific with the text itself. I mean, okay. we can give the details as to what exactly we're talking about in yeah. the passage. In that specific In passage. that specific passage. And then maybe I think after that, we should zoom out a little bit, kind of give a couple theological frameworks for how people generally approach something like this as far as God changing his mind mm-hmm. or having regret. And what do we actually make of that? And then okay. maybe come back to what's maybe a plausible understanding of that specific moment. Of that specific moment. Okay. Sounds good. So what we have, what we're referring to is in 1 Samuel 15 in particular, and as you alluded to, that it happens in other t- places in Scripture, but in the narrative right now with King Saul, there's a moment in 1 Samuel 15 where the text reads that God says himself, I regret that I have made Saul king, uh, for he has turned from following me, so on and so forth. Yeah. Then, so that's 1 Samuel 15, verse 11. Then, Can we define what regret means, totally. or are you going to do that later? We can do it right now. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. So it's the idea, like, translated as sometimes even repent. Yeah, that's our, what I was like. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's not just emotion. Like, there's a change. There's a change that's happening. And yeah. so that's one of the questions, is, and it relates to this other broader theological question, yeah. does God change? Yeah. So, okay. Which is part of the idea, too. So some, some of your translations might even have, I, I repent, or I've changed my mind, okay. or... In the ESV right here, it's, I regret that I've made okay. Saul king. And so that's where the question becomes, okay, why is God regretting something? Okay. Yeah. Isn't God all-knowing is often yeah. how it gets it. framed. Sorry. So but no, that's really important. <laughs> um, and so I think the other time, just to give the quick background in the flood narrative, the text we'll read in Genesis 6, the Lord regretted that he had mm. made man for they were doing evil yeah, wickedly yeah. all the time. So again, that same question pops up. Same word. Same idea. Yeah, same word for sure. Yeah, same word. First Samuel 15, uh, that was First Samuel 15 verse 11. Okay. A few verses later, well, about 20 verses later, in the same narrative though, okay. in First Samuel 15 verse 29, the text says, and also the glory of Israel, kind of a way of referring to God, will not lie or have regret, for he, God, is not a man that he should have regret. Wow, it's really clear. So in so, the same passage, yeah. or the same like chunk of text, yeah. same chapter, totally. it says, God says, I regret. Yes. And then a little bit later, God doesn't regret. God doesn't regret because he's not like man. And yeah. man has regret. Yeah. And apparently God doesn't. Wow. Same word right here. Yeah. And then, just to cap it off, a few verses later, so that was verse 29, where the text basically said God does not have regret. Here in 1 Samuel 15, verse 35, so six-ish verses later, says this, And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel was grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Hmm. So it's a nice little bookend. It's a bookend. Yeah, there's a bookend that's happening. I regret that I've made Saul king, coming from God's mouth himself. The narrator says at the end, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king at yeah. the very end. And kind of towards the end, it's not actually really in the middle at all, but yeah. in the between the two, between the two, there's this line that's given that God does not have regret because he's not like man. And so again, just now thinking about this, yeah. the question, the obvious question that for me at least is how do we yeah. make sense of this? And one way we probably don't make sense is 
someone just messed up. Yes, yeah. So yeah, like, like, man, they should have paid more attention. attention. Yeah, it wasn't as if like the original writer here was, you know, oh, confused I or had my thesaurus. Yeah, exactly. And so there's something very intentional going on here, and I think part of it is again for us on one level, just to slow down and think about what exactly this is talking about, mm. gets getting our attention. Like it seems contradictory on one level, but I think there's actually literary intentionality with how this is playing out. And so I think maybe to kind of step back a little bit, one of the ways to kind of think about this is the qu- asking the question, how does God or does God experience emotion or change? Mm. Is kind of the kind yeah. of a broad theological question. Yeah. Um, so kind of just giving some theological terms here and then yeah. we'll kind of land back with the text. So generally how this might be framed is this term called passability or impassibility, yeah. which is the idea of like God having emotions or not having emotions or change. Is that the same as divine immutability? Immutability. Yeah. So very okay. much related in the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so immutability would be more around, does God change? Okay. The passability conversation is like, does God have emotions, which is obviously related to change as God has emotions. Is he changing in that sort of moment? And so you have one position that would be more of a strong, immutable or strong, impassable position, which is basically the idea that God does not change in the sense and to the degree that when we read things in the scripture like I regret or God repented or God changed his mind about something. What we're reading is, to use another term, anthropological language. Mm -hmm. Basically the idea of God kind of with the language of the text using kind of human language or human ways of describing what humans do to basically communicate a truth about God who is in all ways vastly different than human creatures. So there's a level of like accommodation there. So what we're reading is something kind of like an analogy that God is, in a sense, changing his mind, but not really. It's just to use human language to describe something that's happening. But God is not in that moment, in this position at least, like fundamentally changing or having a a change of emotion or anything. Because God, this position would say, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and does not change. God is the one who initiates change. He's not affected by someone or someone else. Um, That's position one. That would be position one. Which is like... God is not, like, doesn't change, not really affected. He's not really affected. He's like the unmoved mover, right? He doesn't move. He doesn't shift. On the complete opposite of that would be something, be like a strong passable option or a strong mutable option, meaning that God does change to the degree that when we read texts like this, something really legitimate is happening in God's own being, that he's experiencing this in in some theologians' minds, it's essentially the same way that a human would where there's genuine, real regret. And even if some theological positions would say God is completely surprised by the instance of Saul becoming who he is and mm. have real fundamental, like, oh my goodness, what's happening here mm. in this moment? Um, so not that's... Qu- not quite a freak out, but, but like a little bit of surprise. A little bit of surprise. Of, like genuine surprise, genuine, like this was not supposed to happen yeah. in this moment. Not that he's like losing yeah. control or yeah. like you've mentioned, kind of panicking, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but there's a real... This position really emphasizes the relational nature of God yeah. with human creatures. So like maybe just frame-wise, like so that position maybe would focus on how humans are made in God's image. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense in which like the way we respond is similar to the way God responds. Yes. And then the other perspective is sort of emphasizing God's transcendence. Transcendence, exactly. So big and beyond and different. Yes. So it'd be to the point where because humans in this, that position that emphasizes the divine transcendence or the creator creation distinction, because that position wants to 
keep that distinction in play yeah. and recognizes that as part of that humans are broken and sinful yeah. so on and so forth that our emotions often do lead to places yeah. that aren't aren't healthy that position does not want to project that back onto yeah. god that makes sense and that toy makes sense yeah. uh, somewhere in the middle is depending on your your terminology is like a middle passable or a, a middle impassable okay. position so they're trying to like take a, the best a of semi porous memory exactly yeah and so the idea here would be is recognizing and trying to maintain as best as possible, that creator-creation distinction, mm -hmm. that God is distinct and God is yeah. different. And recognizing that, especially in the Old Testament, I think you could also incorporate Jesus in the New Testament, that there does seem to be genuine moments in the narratives where God is really feeling, changing, having emotions. Something's happening. Something is happening there. Yeah. And it's not, and it can't just be reduced, this position would say, to anthrop anthropological language yeah. of just projecting human vocabulary yeah. and human verbs. Not simply a concession. Yeah, not ex yeah, not ex exactly. Not Something simply a concession. Something real is happening. Yeah. And so what this position would also want to articulate, kind of like a distinctive here, is that God is intentionally and from his own being and in his own will, subjecting himself to his creation. So it's God's prerogative. God's initiating this. So when God creates human beings in his image, there's most theologians would understand that God is self-delegating his authority yeah. to his image bearers. And yeah. so God in that moment is sort of kind of setting the stage to have a world in which these human partners actually can do things in the world yeah. and they're not robots yeah. in that moment. Well, I think even, I don't know, even bigger waxing theological, theological, right? Even just to create, mm -hmm. God had to make space that was not God. For sure. In order to make something exactly. that wasn't him. For sure, I mean, yes. this is like getting super abstract. Totally. But it is sort of the nature of God. Yes. That he would actually have to create space that For wasn't sure. him. That wasn't him, exactly. Yeah. And so as part of that, and as part of kind of this middle position is trying to get at, is in that w willingness and desire to create, God is intentionally, again, in this position, trying to or not trying to is seemingly inviting this ability for humans to have an effect on him mm -hmm. to a certain degree god's initiated that yeah. as creator yeah. he's the creator yeah. but as part of like maybe for lack of a better term setting the ground rules so like yeah. maybe when you play like a game at home you have like house rules mm -hmm. like the person the host sets the rules for how that game is played yeah. god is the host yeah and god has set up the rules for lack of a better term yeah. so that because again god's creator yeah. still distinct He's then allowing his creatures to have an effect on him yeah. as history plays itself out. Yeah. And so kind of those that kind of the broad theological okay. perspective. So I'm going to just summarize. Correctly. Yeah, so totally. one is basically God isn't really affected. Mm -hmm. These sort of things about God regretting are more concessions so that yeah. we understand something of God. Yeah. Yeah. Even though imperfect. Then the opposite side is God's like consistently changing and yeah. maybe even a little surprised sometimes. Yes, yeah. And then there's a middle position, which is trying to sort of take the best maybe of both sure, sides sure, sure. Uh, and lean into what seems to be happening in scripture where you kind of have both pictures Perf going on yeah. and trying to figure out how do we do this dance? Yeah. Uh, okay. For sure. And I think part of what we have then coming back to first Samuel 15 is essentially this tension within one narrative. Hmm. If you kind of zoom out and look at all the scripture, you have this tension. If you want to pick and choose Throughout. your verses, yeah. right? And I think that's what the two, the first and third positions are doing is they're often highlighting or emphasizing key verses over yeah. here and key verses over yeah, here. Because you can find them. You can find them. Yes. You can make a strong biblical yeah. case for really all three of these positions yeah. to a certain degree. But what I think the gift, to say it like this, of 1 Samuel 15, is that you have it condensed 
in one story, yeah. the tension like, itself. Welcome to the Bible. Welcome to the Bible, <laughs> jam-packed into one story. Yeah. So I think having that broader framework is helpful when coming to a passage like this, mm-hmm. because I think what this text is trying to show us is not to contradict itself or not to give like a false account or something you know deceptive or whatnot, but to really kind of zoom in and say, okay, this is the tension that plays itself out through all the scripture, mm. but it's just jam-packed into one story. So maybe to bring this kind of to this story in, in particular, probably, I, I don't know, again, there's people way smarter than me that would disagree and push back and nuance and so on and so forth, that it does seem then in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 15, God is genuinely experiencing some level of regret or some sort of emotion, some sort of something there over and really grieving over Saul and who he has become and the choices that Saul has made. He's affected. He's affected by that. And I think this this gets at just the nature of God where this doesn't diminish God's like sovereignty or transcendence. It actually speaks to the fact that an all-powerful God is willing to really enter into the pain and the brokenness of a, a real genuine yeah. situation that's happening. It it's has not some distant. incarnational foreshadowing. Yes, too. for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And then at the same time, when you come to verse 29, where the text says he does not regret, I think this helps us push back a little bit and recognize that God's like not caught off guard by all this at the same time, that God's not just, you know, up there in heaven, you know, completely <laughs> shocked that yeah, like, shoot, I thought it was going to go, go differently. differently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's this level of, God is able to, and I think this is inviting us to become these kinds of people where we can really genuine have mm. these emotions mm. and also not be sort of in a negative sense ruled by them yeah, to this way of, oh my goodness, like life is falling apart uh, in, in this story like this. Mm. And I think what we have here is God genuinely feeling and experiencing something, yet God still maintaining this level of you know, if you want to use the language, like some level of control or some level of stability throughout this narrative. Because if you even go back in context, the whole story leading up to the anointing of Saul as king, God made it pretty clear that because of the desire of the people to want a king like the other nations, God knew it was going to go poorly. God knew from the beginning it was going to go poorly. So it's not like God's, you know, caught off guard. He's not surprised by this. Oh my goodness. But there is but this is level affected. He does he is affected at the same time. Yeah. Exactly. And Which I think kind of makes sense, I think, of God in the narrative of yeah, he's in relationship with mm-hmm. humans. So he creates humans and it's not like he's surprised by yeah. what they do, but he also isn't sort of so walled yes. that he's not affected by their choices. For sure. Exactly. And I think that's again, if you are feeling and list if you're listening to this and feeling a little bit of tension as far as how can both be true at the same time? I think, for, at least in my like imperfect reading, we're getting at what the text is trying to draw us into, yeah. of experiencing this tension in a good way of a God who is genuinely affected by the decisions and the reactions and yeah. the lives of humans, and at the same time, not to the point of just being like, oh my gosh, I'm completely surprised, yeah. you know, what on earth is happening? I don't know how to, you know, fulfill the plan of you know redemption like god's not caught off guard in that sense well and i think the incarnation later Mm -hmm. jesus taking on human flesh plays this out for sure even in like if that makes you uncomfortable in first samuel 15 yeah the whole idea of the trinity yes and one member of the trinity taking on human flesh and feeling yes and being affected yes the text is super clear jesus is affected emotionally yes 
Uh, so what do you do with that? Exactly. Yes. Right? There's, yeah, there is a recent book I just read called the emotional life of Jesus hmm. and by a scholar, I can't remember where he teaches, but basically it, was, it went through all four gospels and just looked at all the adjectives and verbs associated with Jesus's emotions, whether he has compassion or hmm. he's angry or he's tired and all these different things, recognizing the portrayal of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not again, just him floating on two feet and, you know, not being affected by the people around him. Yeah. He is genuinely affected by the decisions, the mm. diseases, the brokenness, the, the demons, all these different things that, and people he's interacting with. Yeah. There's genuine response that's happening from the person of Jesus. Yeah. And if we kind of flesh that out even more, looking at, okay, what the scriptures later on in like, you know, the book of Hebrews chapter one or Colossians mm. chapter one talking about, he is the image of the invisible God, mm. that he's the perfect representation of who God mm. is, that God's deity dwells perfectly in this human that mm. is Jesus. Then I think it does point back to this reality that this is what God is like. A mm. God who, yes, is stable and present and consistent, yeah. but a God who is also yeah. responsive to the actions of so humans. You never get the feeling watching Jesus, or I didn't watch him, but reading about <laughs> Read him. about him, sure. Um, that like he's unstable. Yeah, totally. You never get this feeling of like, oh, he's in over his head yes. now. And yet he is affected. For sure, yes. And I think as you kind of play this out, connecting First Samuel 15 to the life of Jesus, it is inviting us as disciples and followers of Jesus mm. to become the kinds of people that are growing in this, I guess, emotional capacity, if you mm. will, to really feel yeah. and to really play that out yeah. and to also be the kinds of people that are grounded and integrated and have yeah. the sense of level-headedness, if you will, about them yeah. as we go about our lives. Yeah. When, it, when you were talking about Colossians and Hebrews, I was also thought about sort of this idea of Jesus as the great high priest mm -hmm. right, who has mercy. Yes, us. totally. And, and sympathizes with and us. Sympathizes, yes. right? There's actually this emotional quality. For sure. Even then, as it reflects back on the way he receives us. Mm -hmm. For sure. In our sinfulness. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's good. Awesome. Thanks, man. That's helpful. Cool.